Well, it's, it's such a joy to be with you. Thank you for the invitation, even if almost all of you had nothing to do with it. <laughs> and uh, greetings from our little church in, in Gosberton. No, we'd never heard of it either until we got invited there. Uh, it's um, just near to Spalding. And uh, I love to embarrass my wife by saying that not long before we were invited there, she said, you know I will follow you anywhere God calls you as long as it's not Lincolnshire. <laughs> well, we've been r reminded in prayer, of course, that I've been asked to preach about these amazing words at the beginning of the Gospel of John. And they are quite honestly, some of the most profound, wonderful, and mysterious words that have ever been written. And because of that, it's quite possible that in the conversation after the service, uh, there'll be comments like, do you have the faintest idea what he was talking about? And answers like, no, but I've never slept so well in all my life. Some of you will know the, uh, the story of the uh, rather short-tempered preacher who was becoming increasingly annoyed by a lady on the front row who was snoring very loudly. And in his frustration, he picked up a hymn book and tried to throw it at near her feet to wake her up. Unfortunately, his arm was a bit too strong, and he hit her on the head and knocked her down to the floor. And as two stewards came to uh, retrieve her, she was heard to say, hit me again, I can still hear him. Now, many of you will have noticed that each of the four Gospels begins at a different point in time. Mark, Mark's Gospel is the Gospel of Action. It launches straight into the ministry of John the Baptist and within a few verses into the ministry of Jesus himself. Luke, wonderfully and beautifully, begins with a reminder that he's done a lot of research to get the facts right, and, and then goes into an account of the preparation for and the events surrounding the birth of our Lord Jesus. And he's in such detail uh, that it's clear to me that he's, he's telling us what he's heard from Mary herself. And I, I love the idea of Luke sitting down with perhaps a, an, an aging Mary saying, look, love, would you like to fill us on, in on what really happened in those amazing days? Matthew begins with a, a family tree, a genealogy, which doesn't make for exciting bedtime reading, but there's some amazing truths buried in it. Then he launches into the Christmas story, probably more from the point of view of Joseph. John goes back even further. In fact, he goes back as far as it is possible for anyone to go. Because he goes back to the very dawn of time, the, the beginnings of the universe. And he says, in the beginning was the word. Now, obviously, even I wasn't around at that time. 
and it's veiled in mystery. And even today, scientists have different ideas of what may have happened to set our universe on its way. There was a, an astonishing genius who quite a long time ago said, I think this is what happened. I think the universe began with a tiny little speck which expanded incredibly to fill the whole universe as we know it. Now, if you know a bit about, well, they, I think they call that cosmology, don't they? You'll think, ah, is that the Big Bang Theory? Uh, that's not the television series, that's the, <laughs> the scientific theory. Well, yes and no. Um, what we call the Big Bang Theory was actually uh, developed by a Roman Catholic priest, a remarkable man called Georges Lemaitre. And in 1927, he published this idea that the whole, the whole universe that we live in began with this amazing explosion. There wouldn't have been a bang because there wasn't any air around to carry the sound, but an incredible explosion. And after he'd come up with this idea, other astronomers said, well, yeah, we notice now that the, the great heavenly bodies are all increasingly getting further from us. It's all expanding. There must have been something like this. But when I talked about an incredibly bright man talking about this idea, I wasn't talking about Georges Lemaitre in 1927. I was going back even further to a, an extraordinary man who published an article, a paper if you like, in the year 1225, which also was before my time, but only just. And he wrote in this essay that it seemed to him that the universe began with a tiny speck, and on a word of command, it flooded the universe with light, because the first thing that ever happened in the history of our universe was when God said, let there be light. And it's amazing to think that this man came up with the idea in 1225. Who was he? Actually, his surname literally means Big Ed, but there's nothing to say that uh, he was. And he just happened to be the Bishop of Lincoln. He was a local boy. Robert Grossetester, I think his name is called. And this extraordinary and apparently brilliant, godly, and academically gifted man could see all those years ago, long before the advancement of science and astronomy, that that's how it must have all began. And imagine the, the extraordinary power that was released into our universe when all the heavenly bodies we can see on a dark night were, were literally blown into space. Do you remember that wonderful line in uh, one of Grant Kendrick's songs? You know, a hand that flung stars into space. Well, the Bishop of Lincoln was saying, that was the hand of God. That was the hand of God, the extraordinary power of God. And so John begins his gospel by saying, in the beginning was the word. And a little later on he says, through him all things were made. Now, John is quite deliberately echoing the, the beginning of what we call the Old Testament. Because the book of Genesis in the, the Hebrew Bible is literally called in the beginning. It's the beginning of everything. And John is saying, look, I can tell you something more about that amazing day when everything began. And what I've got to tell you 
is that it was released by a word of God, and the word of God flooded the universe with stars and constellations and galaxies and light. And I'm going to tell you about the word of God. By faith we understand, says the writer of the Hebrews, that uh, the, word was, the world was created by the, the power, by the word of God, so that what is seen was made out of stuff that isn't seen. And that's a pretty scientific statement from Bible days. And Paul's letter to the Colossians says, through Jesus, everything came into being. Now, what, what, is, what is John getting at when he says, in the beginning was the Word? Well, he's speaking from his knowledge of the Scriptures. He's speaking just a little bit from his knowledge of pagan thought at the time. There was a bunch of people called the Stoics. They weren't just famous for putting up with stuff. They were famous for developing an idea that all through the universe there's this amazing reason holding things together, and they called it logos, the word. But actually, he's really talking about the Jesus who he knew and whom he loves. And I like to imagine that John, when he was listening to what God was saying, was remembering his own experience of the incredible power of the words of Jesus. Because this was, by all accounts, a man who was one day minding his own business, doing his own trade in the family fishing business, and uh, this extraordinary guy walked along the, the shores of the Sea of Galilee and first of all bumped into Peter and Andrew and said, wait, drop that lot, follow me. And then he came to James and John and said the same thing again, wait, follow me. Now, if that happened to you on a day at work, you'd be a little bit bemused, wouldn't you? And can you imagine the, the impact of the presence and the words of Jesus that he was able to come up to people who were helping in the family business and say, leave that, follow me. Incredible. Can you remember how when, when Jesus began to teach publicly, people muttered to themselves, what is this? This is a, a new teaching with, with authority. Can you remember that amazing story when... Um, Jesus was teaching people in a crowded house, probably about the same size as our chapel in Gosborne, actually, which uh, goes back to the 17th or the very early 18th century, an old-fashioned meeting house. We had to have our roof done a little while ago. And in this house, the folk listening to Jesus were aware of something going on up on the flat roof. And gradually, the sunlight began to come through, and the hole got bigger and bigger and... All of a sudden, there's a man being lowered down on a stretcher right before Jesus while bits of the roof are falling around him. And do you remember what happened? Jesus said to the man, Son, your sins are forgiven. And inevitably, there were people in that audience who weren't happy about that. And they started muttering to themselves, Well, what is this man saying? Only God can forgive sins, surely. And do you remember how Jesus responded? He said, um, let me ask you a question, folks. 
What's the easiest thing to say? Your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk. Try answering that question. And he didn't wait for an answer. He said, I'll tell you what. I said your sins are forgiven. Just so you know, I've got the authority to do that. Said to the man, hey, get up and walk. And the man got up and walked out. It was the power of the words of Jesus. Do you remember the time when the disciples were out in the boat crossing the Sea of Galilee? And one of the violent storms that sometimes erupt there hit them. And they were desperately afraid. And it takes a lot to make fishermen afraid of the sea, let alone an inland lake. And there was Jesus, comfortably asleep. And they woke him up and said, Hey, don't you worry about this. We're going to drown. And Jesus said, Oh, okay. And he spoke to the wind and the waves. Now, the old version of the Bible used to say, he said, peace, be still. Now, literally, that's probably what he did say, but um, that's not really the way we would understand those words today. Uh, the scholars will tell you that what Jesus said is what you would say to a dog who just wouldn't stop barking. And some of you know exactly what that's like. <laughs> Our dog used to always let us know when the postman was coming. And it uh, took a while to stop him. So, I don't know what you say to a dog that won't stop barking. I hope it's fairly polite. But basically, Jesus, if you will excuse me for putting it like this, stood up and said to the wind and the waves, Oi, quiet! Get down! And the disciples looked at each other and said, Who is this man that even the wind... And the waves obey him. At one time, the religious leaders sent out a little party of guards to arrest Jesus. They said, come on, he's, he's in a public place, get hold of him. And they came back empty-handed. And the authorities said, what's the matter with you? Where is he? Why didn't you bring him in? Their answer, no one has ever spoken like this man. And one of the great climaxes of John's Gospel, Jesus is called to a family of friends. Two sisters whose brother has died. And when he arrives, they say he's dead. If only you've been here. And Jesus says, take me to the tomb. And if, if you grew up on the authorized version, you'll remember the rather lovely verse. Uh, they said, Lord... By this time, he stinketh. <laughs> Wonderful. But Jesus went to the tomb, nonetheless. And what did he do? He just spoke. Lazarus, come out! And out of the tomb came Lazarus, still wrapped in his grave clothes. No one ever spoke like this man. And so here is John saying, I'm beginning to understand what happened at the dawn of time. It was the word of God that we heard from the lips of Jesus that brought this whole incredible universe into being. And then he begins to talk about the mysteries of that. 
And of course, then, finally, at the very end of John's Gospel, doubting Thomas, skeptical Thomas, the one who said, I won't believe he's risen from the dead unless I actually can put my hands in his wounds. And Jesus stands before him. And Thomas said what no disciple had dared to say before, my Lord and my God. Now, when you talk about that, we are talking about mysteries. We're touching on the, the amazing mystery of what we call the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And there's no way that is ever going to be easy to understand. In ancient times, various theologians tried to put it in the form of creeds. And although, bless their hearts, they, they meant well, what they came up with is, is not just mind-boggling, it's, it's bewildering. This is the Athanasian Creed from AD 500. Well, a little bit of it. It starts off with a bit of a warning. Whoever will be saved before all things, it is necessary that he holds the Catholic faith, which faith except everyone do keep whole and undefiled. Without doubt, he shall perish everlasting. And the Catholic faith is, faith is this. We worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. You all right with that so far? And then he goes on in a little while to say, uh, such is the Father, such is the Son, such is the Holy Spirit, the Father uncreated, the Son uncreated, and the Holy Spirit uncreated, the Father incomprehensible, the Son incomprehensible, and the Holy Spirit incomprehensible. And it gets worse. Also, there are not three incomprehensibles, nor three uncreated, nor, uh, but, but, but one uncreated and one incomprehensible. At this point, I think, bless their hearts, they meant well, but that's beyond me. It really is. My, my daughter, bless her, has got a PhD in engineering. I think she's a throwback to someone in, you know, in days gone past in our family who had a brain. I don't know where she got that from. But every now and then I ask her to explain things. And more often than not, look, you know, I, I said once, Sarah, why is it? You know, you can leave some electric wires in one place and you don't touch them, but when you next go to them, they're all tied up in knots. And she said, Dad, I understand, but I'm afraid you wouldn't. <laughs> and I think, in a way, we have to bow before the great mystery of God. I mean, you know, there's a lot in the world of science that is impossible to understand. Contradictions, bewildering mysteries, stuff that people can put in words. And when you read it, you think, well, I'm fine. But don't ask me what that's all about. You know, I would, Sarah asked me to read her thesis for a PhD, and when I'd read it, I said, well, look, I can tell you about the grammar and the spelling, but don't ask me what it means, because I haven't a clue. The amazing Charles Wesley wrote a hymn, which I know our folk at Gosford are singing today, because our preacher is a lovely retired Methodist minister. And these are the opening words of the hymn. Let earth and heaven combine, angels and men agree, to praise in songs divine the incarnate deity. Listen to this. Our God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. That's amazing, isn't it? And it's a reminder that if we think we should be able to understand God, we're kidding ourselves. Because the greatest scientists, to be honest, don't understand much either. 
But John said, look, what we do know is this. The Word of God created the universe, and in ways beyond our understanding, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And I can imagine John saying, don't ask me to explain that. I just know it's true. Because I know that when Jesus was alive, we heard words of power that could only have come from God. And I know that when Jesus rose from the dead, our most skeptical, cynical member of the disciples' party said, my Lord and my God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was with God, and through him all things were made. And John goes on a little bit more, as I shall. In him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. Our good friend, the Bishop of Lincoln, in days gone by, said, look, in the beginning, there was this tiny spot of matter, but you wouldn't have been able to detect it because there was no light. But the moment God said, let there be light, and the whole thing expanded, suddenly we had a universe that we could see and touch. And here is John saying, this extraordinary man who came to live among us brought with him the light of God. And that's why later on in his ministry, Jesus said, look, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't be walking in darkness. And John goes on to say, that light is still shining in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. When I was a teenager, my, my mother was going faithfully to uh, our local church. She, she was a Presbyterian, but uh, we moved to somewhere where there wasn't one of them, so we, we went to this Baptist church. And one day the young people said to me, do you fancy a, a weekend away in the Isle of Wight? Well, I really fancied that because we, we couldn't afford holidays. They didn't actually tell me that part of the weekend would have been, uh, was going to be taken up by listening to a preacher, but uh, nevertheless, we had a good time. Went on the beach, played beach hockey, had a lot of fun. But also there was this insistent repetition of little sessions where an evangelist was telling us about what it meant to be a follower of Jesus. And it was getting under my skin. And on the, the ferry back from the Isle of Wight, we had a lovely young man in our bunch who, who was uh, totally unafraid of sharing the gospel anyway. And he, he climbed up the ladder that leads to the bridge and started preaching. And a couple of able seamen hastily dragged him down. And on his way down, he said, folks, that's all I've got to say. Go home and read the gospel of John. When I got home, I went to bed. I thought, I've got to do that. And I opened the gospel of John, which I'd never knowingly read. And I came to that verse that says, the light shines in the darkness. And I thought back about things that have been happening to me in weeks and months gone by when, when God was getting under my skin, sometimes when I was dragged off to church. Once when I was taken to see uh, Marlowe's play, Dr. Faustus, 
and watched this man being dragged down the hell at the end and thought, I need to do something about this. The light's been shining, and, and the darkness hasn't overcome it. And I remember the evangelist we'd been hearing saying, if you want to follow Jesus, get on your knees and say, Lord, I will follow you whatever the cost. And I thought, wow. I've got to say that. And that day was so vivid to me that I will never forget the date. It was May the 12th, 1963. And when I got up to go to school in the morning, I knew that something had changed forever because the light had overcome the darkness. The Apostle Paul said, God has shone his light into our hearts in the face of Jesus. And, and John in his gospel just adds one little reminder. There was a man sent from God. His name was John. Notice carefully, he said, he wasn't the light, but he came to bear witness to the light. And that's where, as I close, I want to remind you, this is where it comes back to you and me. We're not the light. <laughs> Thank goodness, because I wouldn't have made a very good job of it. But the God who has shone his light into our hearts is the God who appointed John to be a witness, to go on sharing that light. And I just want to appeal to you as I appeal to myself in this Christmas season. We who understand this amazing mystery, the Word in the beginning, bringing everything to life, the Word, as you'll be hearing before the end of Advent, who came embodied in human flesh, the Word who gave his life for us, calls us to understand that that miracle of light means that we can be part of a miracle of light, sharing God's light to our neighbors, to our family, to our friends. You said, Jesus, are the light of the world. God, give us grace to be just that. We pray together. Lord, we, we stand before great, wonderful mysteries, and we do not pretend to understand it all. But we thank you that your light has shone into the darkness of our world and has shone into the darkness of our hearts. And we pray that in this Christmas season, with everything else that goes on, we may shine as your lights in the world. In Jesus' name, amen.